0: My name is Susie Can and I hope you enjoy exploring with me the thoughts that come with this thread. If you have any interest in supporting what I'm doing or getting in touch, please do so through the website kylak.ie, where you will also find other resources and connections that I create around each podcast so that if some of the tweaks of interest come to you through them, you have a place to go to go a little further and deeper or to find other information or to find a way to support by maybe wanting to collaborate or offer something or even a donation. Thanks for listening. As I am exploring our connection to land and ancestors, and I'm using some of the different lenses that I can have as an individual who isn't a detailed historian, hasn't got that kind of complete knowledge that I'm not sure anyone has. I read and I experience things around me. But I put those things into perspective, imagining my own ancestors, their connection to the land. And I try to think about modern peoples and the remnants of their ancestry to help me think about these things. So, in this episode, I'm going to explore a bit more about the skills and knowledge bases that I think are still in remnant form, both in Ireland, but also elsewhere in the world. And when that is explored, what it seems to me to do is see the intact lineages and those that have been more broken up. So, for example, I've been thinking a lot from a recent trip to Donegal I've been thinking a lot about the traditions of our clothing, and a little bit less at the moment thinking about our traditions of food or shelter, which I might explore in some other episodes. In Donegal, there is this long relationship with clothing, and there are people in Donegal who have retained. Some of the traditional skills of making clothing. There are still spinners and knitters and weavers. And that has also fed into the art making that is in that county in the older generation where those skills are most held. I was talking to a man who thought about it this way, he saw it as a deep connection to land, that if you looked at the weaving and you looked at the hills, that you saw the same thing. And that really got me thinking about how our ancestors not only lived in a deep connection with the land for their survival, but that as they stayed in areas and as they got to know all of the plants and all of the species, and they began to move beyond some of perhaps the simpler crafts, although, if you go back to the Tain culture that became the Celtic culture, they had incredibly sophisticated crafts in metalwork and some of the things like different brooches that were found from that period. They had really high levels of skills to make beautiful objects. So I suppose it also relates to me the kinds of artistry that existed and continues to have some legacy elements in it. I do watch and read about these skills and crafts from all around the world, and I've recently been quite amazed to watch how those types of skills have been preserved at a completely different level in uh, Asia, in China and Japan and other Asian countries and we were having a discussion on our recent permaculture course with the local crafts friend stickman.ie you can find James Carroll who makes green woodworking And he does demonstrations of that on our permaculture courses. So he shows how you can make a livelihood out of a small woodland as a craftsperson. And we have another friend who also talks about how they become the worker in a woodland that coppices and brings out all levels of small dimension timber for use in small craft and in terms of making furniture and so on. And one of the things that James said that I thought was very interesting was the tradition of craft in Asia was about preserving an already incredibly well-developed craft that has come down through masters and apprentices. And he gave the example of a saw sharpener so just having that very specialized skill to be able to sharpen a very specialized saw, not all saws, but a particular saw. And in his story, he met this master saw sharpener at an event in the UK and he had brought with him an apprentice. And James asked him, so how good is your apprentice? He'd been apprenticing for four years at sharpening saws and the master saw maker just laughed and said, oh, he's not sharpening saws yet. So that sort of detailed apprenticeship that continues very specialized crafts, and that still continues today, in this case, in, that was in Japan. But I have seen, and I'm sure if you'd look for some of the young women in particular that have channels in social media and YouTube and so on, From China who can continue crafts at really high levels of sophistication that they've learned. They've learned these skills from their grandmothers. And there are silk makers like growing silkworms and making and dyeing silk. There are people making bamboo furniture. And all of these are still quite alive in small pockets, and yet dying out in the older people, if there aren't younger people, to take them on. And I think that that is similar but different to what I see in the remnants and in the history of the women that spun their wool and and the men in Donegal that were weavers. I also learned about the effect of the colonizers on those traditions because they were so vibrant and had such strength of economy that they were deliberately broken down they were seen as a threat i believe one person told me they were seen as a threat by cromwell in british economy and there was deliberate acts to try and disrupt that lineage and those crafts but because they were also critical to people clothing themselves, whatever about those later economies of selling their product elsewhere, they still retained it in their images in museums in Donegal of the home-spun clothing. So the idea that at home people were able to sew directly from the wool they gathered from their own sheep, and they turned them into the famous jumpers. Actually, my father told me that he got his first cable knit jumper as a 10-year-old in Donegal on holiday, and how many knitters were still in the town that they holidayed near. And I think that that connection is also interesting in terms of and another part of how that was broken down was actually, apparently, in removing and swapping different kinds of sheep. So we think sometimes as children, we wore sweaters and my grandmother would have worn tweed at special occasions. And later on, my mother would have bought tweed woven cloth in Ireland as well for the colors and the the soft, beautiful colours of, as someone said, the landscape. But we thought of some of those clothes as kind of not soft or a bit scratchy, but apparently that too was a legacy of colonisation, where the original sheep that were kept for wool in Donegal were a completely different breed of sheep than farmers keep today, where they had a softer wool, but during that attack, one of the ways that the colonizers wished to disrupt the system was to swap in and ban certain breeds of sheep and swap in new breeds of sheep that didn't have the same soft and high-quality wool. And that legacy apparently is still there in sheep farmers in the west of Ireland today, particularly in Dunegal. Where they had this vibrant craft continuing. And that those that do use wool today are not, either they're, they're getting that rougher wool and it is a different material than would have been there for their ancestors. Or in fact, wool that is used in Ireland is brought in from abroad to have some of those softer wools for knitting or for making. The other thing that I saw in Denigal was the equipment that went along with these crafts, so it could be that somebody just worked with a small spindle, a drop spindle, but they also had sewing machines and looms, and we were I was visiting some where in Denigal and I was shown just these three pieces of equipment that the man said. And there's the making of a good suit so these went into the manufacture then at homespun and home level because all of these things that he showed me could fit into just even the corner of a small house and I suppose I think a lot about those skills that are dropping away and the other thing I heard about when I was in Donegal was a community that went to set up a thatching school to preserve the skill of thatching houses. And sometimes people wish to preserve these things for heritage and tourism and something to see and to look back at nostalgically and say, look at that skill of the past that our ancestors have. It's not a living skill and it doesn't have a relevance in the modern world. When I was talking to people involved in setting up this thatching school, it was partly that, and it was definitely that there was only one thatcher still in the area who had the skill of thatching, and they wanted to preserve it and have more people have that before this thatcher passed on. And yet one of the other reasons and motivations that they were talking about was interesting, it was a comment by one of the older men involved and he said, it would just be good that they had that skill should they ever need it. And I think that was maybe a comment I wouldn't have heard a few years ago, but particularly this year after these communities that I was visiting have passed through the COVID pandemic and realized the resilience or lack of resilience in their community for a shock like that, and how they did pull together and old community spirit that has been there and not eroded got by and got them to collaborate and to feed their older community members and look out for them in all sorts of ways. It seemed an interesting thought that people do see the potential relevance for a local skill based on landscape around them and based on their own ancestors' knowledge. And they were talking about where the reeds would come from, from the thatch, out of a field of one of the people involved. And he wanted to donate his reeds to the thatching school for free because he believed in the project so much. So those connections to the skills that developed literally out of the materials and the colours and the needs, in that case the need for a dry roof on the little cottage, the needs for clothing, that develop into something that people understand as beautiful. It is something that for tourism in the region of Donegal is really important part of their offer to people who come Back to Donegal from America, from visitors that come from all over the world, that they also reach out for this tangible connection to a craft. And I have another story from our friend James, the Stickman furniture maker, about when he went to a gallery as an artist in New York and was showing his Greenwood craft skills and he would say that unlike that tradition of following from master to apprentice in an exact form where you must learn to copy and do the exact same unchangeable tradition said that western artists like himself or western craftspeople have more of an individualistic expressive connection and they feel and he feels completely free to innovate, and he does do that with mixed materials and concepts of things that people might see as not having a use, but putting them in a new way and creating something of beauty that shows the value of things that come from his woodland and things that are discarded. But he was making stuff from a sawhorse and using his Draw knife and doing this kind of very simple skill with small dimension timber that had come down from, I think somebody had brought him it from somewhere else in New York so that he would have it with him in the gallery. And one of the things that he had to sell was small spoons that he makes. And he had told a story about how a woman called back from the till having spent a long time watching him at his craft and, and wanted to buy one of his spoons. And she called back to him, how much was it? I think he was charging $60, say. And she called back, it's $600, was that right? And he, he kind of laughs that he didn't he missed a trick by not saying yes, it was $600, but it wasn't, it was less. But he, I, he told me that story quite a while back and I remember thinking about what is it that would make a woman in New York happy to pay six hundred dollars for a spoon handmade from timber from New York or Ireland. And it seems to me that we crave a connection to those traditional skills somehow that that spoon in her possession would connect her back to this craftsmaker. And all the way back to the forest where the timber came from. And that's something that people don't have. And I wonder if the same is true for a woolen sweater or a piece of weaving that comes from a traditional weaver in Donegal, that it connects people all the way back to the land, but also to those homespun and handmade objects that somehow people crave. And I wonder about how the craving for that connection is expressed through these traditional crafts and my own fascination with it around the world. And I do watch different people on YouTube and their skill. And, I, and, and interestingly, there was one young woman that I'd watched intermittently, when, particularly when I was still taking trips on a train to Dublin regularly. I would use this as my kind of almost a meditative um, thing if I didn't have something to read or look out at the landscape because it was dark. The YouTube that I used to watch a lot was, I'm not sure how to pronounce her name, but I think it's something like Lizzie Chi from China. And I recently went back and looked again because I had watched her make food and I was interested in the amount of available food in the landscape In the small village region she must live in, in China, things that are grown as edible across the mountains that everybody can go out and forage and harvest, and then the collaborative foods of fields that are managed and brought in in what we would call a mechal in Ireland, some group of people going out together to harvest cotton or harvest rice and process it for local consumption. And all of the crafts that go along with that, all of the tools that people can make themselves, and those are really preserved. And then she also showed the craft of making ink for Chinese writing and making the brushes. So a really deep craftswoman who has learned these skills from the older people in her community as a little girl brought up with these craft knowledges, and what I caught up with recently was a similar thing: was the incredible popularity and star status. She makes very beautiful films. She crafts films showing all of these skills that she has, and she's apparently a a celebrity YouTube uh, person on Chinese YouTube in China. And so recently, she. Set up a gallery in presumably a large city, and it has all these things in display in this kind of, it has the evokes for me a similar setting as to the one James described in New York, a kind of pristine white gallery space with him with his shaved horse and drawn knife and sawdust and shavings around him on the gallery floor. But Lizzie G has created something of it has more of a high-end boutique look where you know small baskets or fabrics or ink and ink brushes and these things are they're held up literally on pedestals and people were very excited with the opening of this store and their videos playing in it of her living in this region in the countryside making the objects, and I assume they're being sold for high-end figures, because again, these young Chinese people who want to have a piece of connection back to their land and their ancestry and the skills that came with it. And when I was going to Denigal, I was also very happy that I was bringing with me a young person. We had done a textile course and had come. We met them through their also desire to learn permaculture. And I was bringing them because they were had made an arrangement with Judith Hode, who I interviewed in the first batch of the podcast. And Judith was going to help them learn how to spin. And this young person had brought with them their own little portable sized spinning wheel and it was really heartening to me to see that potential return not simply to own a piece of the craft to buy it of somebody else to value it in that way but the and the same with the thatcher school but the idea that we might return to these crafts and learn from the people who are older who still have the knowledge before they die out and need to be Rekindled a bit like the cob that I've talked about in other episodes had to be rekindled just in time from the old people who still knew how to make cob and this man Yanto Evans who now lives in Oregon I believe but was from Wales went around the old people and tried to learn how this material worked and he looked at old buildings and so on and I noticed in the Heritage Centre in Wexford recently that they're making a cob Roundhouse. And that skill is to show it's still there in Heritage. And yet we're able to make cob Roundhouses and cob Ovens. And Judith Hoad a few years ago, built a cob Roundhouse as a gathering space and a place for circles of people to sit in, also for a small ceremony and celebrations. So all these things weave together in a a just about intact network of connection to the land through craft. But it is something that without young people getting interested and excited about learning these things that were just on the brink of them going, Judith actually wrote a book called This is Dunny Gold Tweed, which I believe has been republished and is still available And when I was in Deligal, I kept hearing from people who are interested in crafts and are creating textile circles and craft circles and artist expressions that they all knew of this book that Judith did. And she also wrote that book at a time when many of the older people were dying out. And she preserved that knowledge in the book by interviewing them and talking about the lineage and the history of the Tweed preserving both the lineage but also the oral history and the stories of the people and their knowledge and what, how the heritage of Donegal Tweed had evolved and where it was at the time that she was talking to people. So in the practical episode that I'm going to add to this batch of the podcast, I'm going to talk a little bit more detail of the Small edge of some of these skills that I've had exposure to, and some of the places that you could start if you were interested in exploring a bit more about the practical skill of working with wool and spinning and carding and felting, and a little bit about weaving too. I did spend a little bit of time with a man in Wicklow who was a weaver for the Evoca group. and who came from Donegal and had learned his trade first as a young weaver and son of a weaver in this kind of lineage, and I think had worked for McGee's and came then and worked in Wicklow. And he taught an interesting connection. He he later, as he retired from the Avoca weaving, he brought that skill to a social enterprise with traveller women, actually, in Wicklow, who still weave and knit and have these skills came from Donegal, so I'm going to talk a little bit about that, because I'm not in any way a master, or even a skilled level is pretty minimal, but I have some small understanding of just a little bit of these crafts, so I'm going to touch on that in the practical skills, something about the dyeing of, it and of wool and using wool and how that connects back to this thread of connection.